I always want my students to understand both perspectives. They will make sure we will never forget the good about what all of our cultures share together. We can't have an industrialized set of standards for students. We need to keep teaching them on their own inquiry level. I need to get back to that school and make it a safe place for kids to learn. Hey, you are listening to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Here's your host, Josh Rapoon. Hey, everybody. This is Josh Rapoon, and we are here today with Katina Suarez, who is the principal at Molokai High School. Katina, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Um, so, Katina, um, let's start with Molokai. Okay. Um, I think that Molokai is a place likely unfamiliar with our listeners, even if they're from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. but we're imagining that our listeners ultimately over time are going to be national and maybe even global, um, and that they will find this podcast and they'll listen to it and they'll wonder about Molokai. Um, so um, explain Molokai to us. I know that's a hard question, but what is Molokai to you? Oh, my goodness. In a few words, that would be really difficult. Um, I think what's funny is even people in Hawaii, sometimes they still ask us if we have electricity. We are one of the smaller islands. Wow. So we have, you know, seven to 8,000 residents all the time. Um, and we have some part-time residents. Um, so they ask us if we have electricity. We still have grass huts sometimes. We do have all of that. We have all of the modern conveniences. But our island is... Um, very about preserving Hawaiian culture and the place and what it was originally meant to be. So um, a lot of the activists come from Molokai and um, they fight hard to keep it like that. Um, we don't want it to turn into an Oahu, which is very urban, um, has lost some. I mean, they're working on getting back some of the culture, but has lost some of the sense of place that's here on this island. Um, and so Molokai works hard to stay, um, to keep that. And um, if you're part of the community, the it's really, really strong. Um, a little bit skeptical about outsiders, but for the, for the reason of keeping it the way it is. Um, so we are open to innovation, but it has to um, not have an impact on the culture and the face of the island. So very traditional, um, not very developed, no stoplights, no franchises small community. What was it like growing up on Molokai? You grew up on Molokai, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. What was it like? From 10 days old. And by the way, I just, I'll just jump in and <laughs> yes. say, this is, Katina, this is very special for me because um, my family came to Hawaii uh, 100 years ago. Um, and my father, uh, who was a quote unquote country doctor, mm -hmm. uh, first was a doctor on Lanai um, in the late 40s, but then was a doctor on Molokai for well, from 1950 to 1957, at which point he moved his family, I wasn't born yet, to Oahu, to Kaneohe. Mm -hmm. So it's very special to me to be able to talk to you about Molokai today. Yeah. Um, and I, I, although I wasn't born there and didn't grow up there like my brothers did, I have a sense of it. And so it's, it's neat. So anyway, yeah. what was it like growing up on Molokai? It's a special place. Um, so for me growing up, it was, it's different than it is now, actually. Back then, you know, like a lot of places, you could just ride your bike down the road, you know, wander wherever without, you know, worry. Everybody knew everybody. It really is a place where the village raises the child. So, you know, if you do something wrong, that auntie is going to get everybody word knows. back to your mom. Somebody will see and, and they will find out. Um, but a really safe, small um, 
knit community. And um, I think what changed a little bit now is, you know, the conveniences of um, modern life, but also um, a lot of land preservation type laws that limit some of the things that even we can do on the island. You know, we grew up riding motorcycles off-road in the mountains. Some of the best things, the best learning that you have um, is not necessarily available because of all of the um, conservancy laws and things are in place because of people that abused, you know, those privileges. But um, some of those things are the best memories, all the outdoors things that we do, hunting, fishing, all mm -hmm. of those things. Yeah. And so in what ways did the natural world impact who you have become as a person? I think about this a lot now, especially with my daughter, who's just starting as her, her first job as a kindergarten teacher, but she's a huge advocate for mm -hmm. connecting with the natural world. How, how does that play out on Molokai? I think for us, our childhood was outside. We hardly spent time in the house. You know, and summers were longer then. We didn't have year-round school. So three months of the year, you know, whenever the sun was up, we were pretty much outside. Um, my dad was a commercial fisherman on top of his regular job. Oh, okay. So um, we spent a lot of time fishing. You know, you pull weeds and then you go fishing on Saturdays. It was pretty much our life. And um, selling fish, packing fish, you know, sending it off to market. So we learned things like that to um, to provide for his family. So definitely learned a work ethic mm -hmm. um, from that. And, you know, living off the land, in a sense, we ate a lot of fish, right. <laughs> a lot of deer meat, you know, um, hunting and fishing. But it saved money and we had a big family. So um, mm -hmm. that was definitely part of the life. And I think that's something that's still preserved now. If, if you ask any of our kids what they like to do, It'll probably be hunting or fishing right. or gaming now. But right, yeah. right, right. Do you remember the first time that you left Molokai and, and went somewhere else, either to another island or? Um, my mom has family from the mainland, so we actually did a lot of traveling hmm. um, often, which I think was really good for me. And I think that's important for our kids um, to also, you know, learn on the island, but also get off the island and get those different perspectives. Um, so... The last time that I actually remember, I was probably about five. We went to California and wow. kind of did like a cross-country, not cross-country, but West Coast trip, you know, a road trip with my aunt and, you know, stopping in various places, Vegas and by a river and things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's, and snow, we got, I prayed for snow <laughs> and somehow there was some kind of blizzard in the summer in the desert in Nevada, there was snow and I made like this itty bitty snowman, but it was amazing. Right. Super yeah. exciting moment. Yes. I remember the first yes. time that I saw snow yes. too. Yes, but a different world definitely for sure. Very cool. So in doing my, my research about you for this moment and, and looking through some of the information that you sent to me, um, you talked about how um, you worked your way up through um, elementary and middle and then high school and you were at Molokai High School and you felt like you were really at the top of your game. Those are, not, those are my words, not mm -hmm. yours, but um, that you were an A student, you were a top athlete, you were a scholar athlete. Um, but you didn't graduate, um, mm -hmm. and that you left before graduating, and then you ended up getting a GED, um, and that you did that um, because you didn't feel like school was safe. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, about that experience? Sure. So um, growing up, you know, like I said, we have a tight-knit community, and um, we know people from the time we're babies. We're pretty much with the same, you know, kids growing up. But at the time, um, the school was Molokai High and Intermediate School, so it was larger, you know, closer to a thousand kids. Um, now we only have about 350. 
um, in just the high school. So um, it was a it was a larger school, and there was a lot of fighting at that time. It was in the 90s. It was kind of the gang mentality days where, you know, the, those kinds of things were a big thing to do, and it was just every day there was fights, somebody threatening you to fight and all of that. And so... Was there something going on on Molokai at that time, or was there context behind why it felt like that or why um, it was happening that way? It kind of had always happened. Um, there was sort of, like, I don't want to call it turf wars because it's not, you know, that serious. But there is definitely some tension between, you know, if you came from this side of the island or that side of the island. There is some of that. And then just um, because we're such a small-knit community, everybody's kind of in everybody's business. So if you say something about somebody, they'll find out and then, you know, they'll come after you for it. And so it was, no, not not necessarily a context. I think there was a lot of of that through the 80s and um, probably through the mid-90s. Um, just, yeah, a lot of fighting, mm-hmm. bullying, um, that kind of thing. And so I had been, you know, like I said, like a top, a pretty good athlete, um, a student council, all of those things. But it was just the constant, somebody wants to fight with you today over nothing. You know, you looked at me sideways and it was, it was just ridiculous. Wow. And I just really wanted to focus on school, get into college, not have the drama, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, I left 11th grade and... I did a year homeschool, and then I took my GED and started taking some college classes. Right. Um, I guess as an early admit before that kind of existed. But right. Right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, and what was it like? Do you remember? Do, do you recall clearly what it was like that year when you were at home and and working on your GED and kind of? I yeah. I actually loved it because um, we had a really tough curriculum, and so it it challenged me. Um, more than I had been challenged at school, except for one teacher, Mrs. Kaufu. Okay. <laughs> who, who I'll mention later, she actually came to my first graduation ceremony last year, which oh, was amazing. She that's was, she very was like special. the best teacher. Yeah. Um, but, but the curriculum was really challenging, so I really had to work hard. And my mom, you know, I know some people think of homeschool as like they just slack and play all day. No, my mom made me follow that curriculum. And yep. so I had to do everything, you know, tests and everything, SATs, just like you would at a regular school, but without the social, you know, mm-hmm. component. Yeah. Right. So, wow, I that's guess. super interesting. So um, I, I definitely want to dive into things related to what school could be and mm-hmm. most likely to succeed and uh, Ted's innovation playlist. But I, I want to stay for a second on your graduate work because mm-hmm. I found this completely fascinating. I stayed up late last night <laughs> um, looking through articles that you sent me. Um, so can you walk us through your graduate work um, and then there's one specific question I want to ask you about um, your your doctorate. Okay. So um, graduate work, I got my master's in um, education and in school counseling. And part of the reason for that and that I'm in the job I'm in right now is because of my experience at my high school. Okay. And from, you know, my teenagers, it became my passion. Like, I need to get back to that school and make it a safe place for kids to learn. Like, this is not okay. You shouldn't have to leave you know, to finish school or to graduate from high school. Um, So my graduate work was in my master's um, in education, school counseling, and I did it through Liberty University on the East Coast. Right. And Mm. at the time it was, you know, not everything was online yet. So, you know, a lot of correspondence. I had to fly up in the summers um, for lengths of time. We'd stay in the dorms and then, you know, fly back home. But I did it through distance education. Right. Um, And then I got my master's that way. And then your PhD. Yes. And then my doctorate was similar. I got it from Walden University about six years ago. But um, the same thing, more online, (laughs) 
yeah. lot more online. Um, but also having to do residencies around the country and flying out to do... Um, so you work from home, but then you do the residencies um, in different parts of the country. And I, it was interesting because you got to meet a ton of people from um, other countries, a lot of people from Africa, just international exposure. And I focus on education, K-12 leadership. So I got to talk to people from all over the world in education, and it was really amazing. So the newspaper article that you sent me mm-hmm. um, seemed to play on the idea that you never had to leave Molokai mm-hmm. in getting your doctorate. So that's only partially true, right? Yes. I mean, yes. You, for your coursework. I didn't have to move away. Yeah. Um, for But I did definitely have to leave, you know. And that those experiences those that you just described, those were really informative in, in getting your doctorate. Absolutely. And I, like I said, the international exposure um, of other education systems and just talking with leadership and other just gave me really, I mean, a larger yeah. worldview because, you know, I grew up on Molokai with, you know, this kind of closed community, closed ideas about things. So it really just opened my eyes to what is out there and what could be possible. So Katina, I'm just, I'm just like, I have to stop for a second and just kind of contemplate the idea that your, your worldview at this point is being expanded in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And yet in so many ways, you're totally focused on coming back to Molokai, Mm -hmm. um, which is a small place as you've talked about, and that you were intent in that moment. You, you were on a mission. You had something in mind that you wanted to accomplish. So I think what I want to ask you about um, is, can you tell me the moment or can you describe the moment when you found out that you were going to be the principal at Molokai High School? Where were you when that happened? I was, well, I was assigned as a TA principal first, so it wasn't a sure thing at the time, but I was um, the vice principal at Lahaina Intermediate School. And I was told by my CAS that the, sorry, context area superintendent. Yes, right. Who is Lindsay Ball, <laughs> yes, by the Lindsay way. Lindsay Ball, yeah. that um, a previous principal retired and they didn't have anyone in place. And, you know, if I wanted to go back home and I was like, absolutely. You know, he knew that that, has, that was my goal. That's what I had been working for. I kind of timed doing my um, administration certification to be around the time I thought the, the last principal would be retiring. So it all kind of worked out exactly as I had hoped and I was super excited but then came the can I get the permanent position which I did find out a few months later right and I think I cried because it was like really it it was kind of my life's work to you know wow to to get there and now the real work begins right right (laughs) Right? wow what a story okay gang so stay with us we're going to take a short break and come back and talk with Katina Suarez about um, innovation on her campus and lots of other subjects. Stay with us. We'll be right back. By now, you should be feeling pretty inspired by this podcast and maybe even wondering what steps you might take to become more innovative in your own practice. The Schools of the Future Conference taking place October 2nd through 4th is the perfect place to connect with and be inspired by education innovators like the ones featured in this podcast. Now in its 11th year, the conference is innovative by design and is co-produced by the Hawaii Department of Education, the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools, Pillars of Peace at the Hawaii Community Foundation, and the Hawaii Society for Technology and Education. To learn more about the Schools of the Future Conference and to register, 
visit www.sotfconf.org. Registration will remain open throughout the three-day conference. Hope to see you there. Hi, we're back with Katina Suarez, principal at Molokai High School. Um, so, Katina, let's shift our focus to um, innovation. I, I feel sometimes like talking about innovation and education is much easier when you're in a dense urban environment because there's this perception that there's so much around you that feeds into that innovation or can inspire that Im- uh, innovation or or that there are partnerships that you can develop um, mm-hmm. that help feed into innovation. So how does that play out on Molokai? How does Molokai, your community, your school community, your parent community, and you see innovation? What is it like in, an, in a very small rural environment like that? Well, I guess to start, we uh, work together we had a community meeting um, based on some help from Ted Dentersmith's book and, and some of the innovation playlist um, items. The mobilizing your community was one of them for right, sure. Right. Um, we got the community's involvement in creating our profile of a high school graduate. Right. And that's the focus of what we're working on as a school um, to get our graduates to be able to do, you know, know and what dispositions we'd like them to have. And so once we did that, we realized that, you know, what our community wants for their kids is the same as pretty much everyone else nationwide, you know, be able to support themselves, doing something they love, be respectful, kind, you know, all of those, a lot of them are soft skills, if you will, not Mm -hmm. necessarily, you know, be able to do algebra. And what are the soft skills? For those those listening who are wondering? Like like being respectful, being able to work with other people, collaborative, things like that. Yeah, critical thinking. Team building, things like that. Yeah, things that have you work with other people well and problem solve. And so um, once we had that focus, then it's like, how do we get that through our community? And part of having the community involved in that discussion was, okay, now you want these things from our kids. What can you offer to help them get there? And so um, there we have a lot of people supportive in the community. Um, we have more internships this year so kids can go. Uh, we had some kids work in the hospital this summer, work um, over here on Oahu and Queens Hospital. Um, just those types of things. So, you know, we have that outside resources, but we also use our island. What we like to say often is our island is our classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I think the innovation there is getting out of the classroom. One of the things that we're working on is getting vans, four-wheel drive vans, four-wheel drive vans. And um, because it's not accessible, a lot of our island isn't accessible to regular vehicles. And um, currently, we're not allowed to purchase those through the Department of Education. So well, we can purchase them, but we can't use them to transport students. And so it's kind of you're stuck in this. What do we do to get them out there? You know, we have a huge forest preserve. Um, we have some archaeological sites, and they all require four-wheel drive vehicles. Right. Um, so that's one of the innovations, just, you know, trying to get them out there um, to these sites to learn. And what um, one of... The greatest examples, I think, more recently is ethno-algebra. So last summer, we partnered with Kamehameha Schools to offer an algebra course in the summer for students who didn't do well in in math, but it was a place-based, cultural-based math class. Yeah, so they learned outside. Um, They they learned 
they helped build the hale, they helped make food um, for a luau at the end. They um, went out to the ocean and did measuring, you know, they did um, fishing. And it actually inspired our teachers because now they're doing um, lessons that tie into what they taught that summer. Mm -hmm. um, now they're doing makahiki games, you know, like how do you measure throwing a spear this length and, you know, using those things. So using, you have to learn about the culture and the practice and then apply the math to it. Um, so that was amazing. And we had, uh, I believe, 98% of our kids passed that class who had previously failed math once wow, or twice before, really some twice. Right. And they loved it. They were just um, inspired. They had to oli as part of the class. And it mm -hmm. was just about touching that part of themselves, you know, mm -hmm. that sense of belonging, sense of place. And so, so you had a sense that as the kids came out of that, mm -hmm. that they saw the world as a place full of math. Yes. Rather than just like I go to math class and then I don't have math outside, right? Yes. Yeah. And they also tended to do better that next school year in school. They applied a lot of what they learned. They just learned to love learning, you know, because they were the ones who had been failing previously. Mm -hmm. So they came into school the next school year with a different attitude about learning. So I'm really struck by the idea that your definition of, of innovation is about getting outside of school. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, it's such a simple idea, but I don't think that when people think about innovation, they think about iPads mm -hmm. or they think about some sort of technology or makerspace or robotics mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. But you're just talking about let's get outside the school walls and find where learning exists outside of our community. Yeah, and I think part of it comes from, so I grew up in church and they always said, you know, church is not the building, it's the people. And it's the same thing in learning and a community. You know, it's not about the school building. It's about the people and what we can learn from each other and what's around, you know, the building right. and what the meaning is there. Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, gang, stay with us. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Katina Suarez, the principal at Molokai High School, about her faculty and how she's managing to keep them on staff. Back in just a second. Within a generation of 25 years, Kamehameha Schools sees a thriving Lahui where our learners achieve post-secondary and educational success. To this end, Kamehameha Schools is proud to share Halau Inana Makapa'akea, an innovation and collaboration space where Native Hawaiian learners converge as a new generation of OEV leaders, innovators, indigipreneurs, and entrepreneurs. The Halau will host and curate various programs, events, and activities that foster OEV leadership development, creative thinking, and problem-solving, innovation, prototyping, and incubation. Hey gang, we're back with Katina Suarez, principal at Molokai High School. Katina, um, on August 12th, uh, um, Honolulu Civil Beat published an article talking about you um, and talking about how you've been able to retain your faculty. You've Well, two things. One, I think that it's been about homegrown mm -hmm. faculty, Molokai faculty, um, and also about how you've been able to keep your faculty, that you don't lose them in the way that some other schools do. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know more about that. Can you tell us about what you're doing specifically on your campus and how, I'm just thinking about how the, your words might inspire other school leaders out there, public, private, and charter. Okay. So I think part of it is being a little bit unconventional. 
um, pulling in people who have the skills and may not necessarily have the teaching background. Right. Um, so currently we have someone, you know, who's great with gardening. Um, but so he's teaching woodshop and, you know, agriculture and then also computer literacy. Um, but he loves it because he, you know, he loves the kids and he loves the, the subject. So, you know, this is his second year and he's in a teaching program this year because, you know, he loves what he's doing. So I think it's um, finding those people with the skills and the passion to teach right. those things or share those things and then getting them in the classroom to do it. So instead of trying to get teachers coming out of, uh, and I, I might be speaking sort of stereotypically here, mm -hmm. but uh, teachers coming out of a teacher's college, um, and then you try to get them to like or love the kids, mm -hmm. it's the other way around. You've got people who are passionate about certain things, yeah. and then they grow, the, you help them grow their teaching skills yeah. and habits and dispositions. And then something else I think that we do that maybe other people don't is because we're a small community, we can hook them up with resources right away. Mm -hmm. Well, for the state does offer an incentive because we're a hard-to-fill area, so we always, you know, try to talk about that perk. But for us, you know, we let them use our state car. You know, you arrive on the island new. Okay, here's our, you can use our car for two weeks, you know, to get around. And then, you know, so-and-so has an open room. You can stay there. Right. Um, just providing support for them. And then it's like, here's a group of friends you can hang out with. You know, they might wow. not necessarily last, but, wow. you know, just making those connections and hoping people stay. I think um, you either love Molokai or you don't. And so you kind of know right away who's going to stay and who's not. Um, you know, not everybody stays. We had someone leave after three years last year, but it was kind of like, you know, we took a gamble, you know, hoping that it would work out, but it didn't. And that position is actually the one filled by that right, right. ag teacher now. So it, you know, in the end it worked out. But um, it's really just grabbing people who care about the community and pulling them into the education side. We have... Um, a new teacher this year who I previously tried to get <laughs> the year before, and I was like, no. And then this year, partially because of Mauna Kea and, you know, just the, the revival of that movement and um, the importance of instilling that in our children, we got her to come, and she was like, yes, this is important. I need to pass this on. And so wow. now is in, in the school, in the program, and, you know, she's from Wolokai, so she's not going to leave, and, and it's right. awesome. Um, Katina, we have a lot of ground to cover and not okay. very much time. So a couple of quick questions. One is, how do you feel about kids leaving Molokai for college and the risk that you take that they won't come back? I think that's one of my biggest um, goals. And part of, you know, when we talked with the community about the profile of a high school graduate was we want them to learn things, explore the world, but we want them to feel that in their heart they need to come back and serve, you know, our community. Um, so I think it's a good thing. You know, I gained a lot by sure traveling did. around. Um, right. Both of my children went off to college in the mainland, and both after three years were like, I'm over this. I want to come home. Like, they love home. Wow. Wow. Um, so they recently both just came back. But um, I, I do have a fear, and, you know, we do have limited job prospects. And so part of my call to the community was, how can we find balance in preserving our culture but also have some type of economy that our kids can come back if they want to, if they choose to. And I don't think it's necessarily my problem to solve. I think it's building those complex thinkers, yes. you know, that go off and then they figure it out, you know, for the next generation. But yeah. hopefully we can build that. And I want them to come back. Very cool. So, um, Katina, I, I watched a Maui District TV or television video that you sent me um, where your vice principal, um, Kainoa, 
talks about breathing, quote unquote, new life mm-hmm. into your community. Um, what did he mean? And how does this connect to your involvement in Ted Dintersmith's innovation playlist? Okay, so we've had, I guess for our school, we've had typically people who come in um, and are you know close to retirement, so they don't stay too long. And then I think for us now, Kainoa is a year older than me, also went to Molokahai and Intermediate. Um, and so we both went to school at the same time, and we have that passion um, for our island and for our school. And so with the, the new push for, or revival, if you will, of you know, Hawaiian culture and values and all of that with ha and breath, it's just bringing that into the school. And um, it's been integrated in with TED and by providing opportunities for the kids to learn culture mm-hmm. through project-based learning, getting outside, you know, the things that we talked Socratic about. Socratic seminar. Working, yeah, right. Socratic mm-hmm. seminar. Um, we have kids working on the fish ponds, right. you know, all of service learning and all of those types of things as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, again, pairing the place-based, culture-based education with. Mm-hmm. You know, the traditional. So these micro innovations are providing opportunities for kids that ultimately re- are realized in new life, in yeah. breathing new life into the community. And it also provides them an opportunity to showcase talents that they may not have been right. able to do in a traditional setting. Right. You know, we have kids that are amazing fishermen or, you know, musicians and those types of things that aren't always celebrated in a traditional classroom. So speaking of, I watched this astonishing video that you sent me, a different video, um, about one of your students. Her name is Cameron Ray. Mm-hmm. That's not her last name. That's mm-hmm. just her first name. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a senior um, at the time that the video was shot. Um, she's an emerging artist. And wow, that video was just so incredible. Mm-hmm. Your teacher, your art teacher, Perry, he's mm-hmm. art and media. Yes. Um, and it just felt like... Wow, it's hard to describe. Like something was happening there. Like kids were growing up mm-hmm. and they were growing into themselves and specifically into themselves as artists. Mm-hmm. And that's voice. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that film? Yeah. So um, they came over and did a little documentary about our art class, like, like you said. And we had actually that student was one of our valedictorians last year, which is which is interesting because when you think of, you know, students who are high academically, you don't necessarily think of them as also artists. Right. And so um, there was her. And then there was also another student who wasn't the best um, academically. And she grew so much through art. She designed um, for our big not. Oh, I don't want to, it's a long name, but um, for one of our Ha Summit days. And she designed the shirt, and it was like this beautiful creation of Hina wow. and our island. And she is super shy, and she got up in front of, you know, hundreds of people and talked about the design that she created. Wow, and she was able to skin. do that yeah, because, of, yeah. because of the art component, and she was proud of it. And she, she, you know, she said for herself, that's what brought her out of her shell mm-hmm. was, was this celebration of that talent. So, um, yeah, and then they're both gone now. So we have to find some new ones. To and, I, and I saw Perry, the teacher, mm-hmm. I saw him as, and, and, and while he was speaking and, the, and his demeanor while he was speaking in the video, that he was different. He wasn't somebody who was telling them what art is. He was kind of ushering them as a guide, as a mm-hmm. sponsor, as a coach, yeah. along a pathway that was really of their own construction. Yes. And he also um, is good at integrating things from the island. So they actually make red dirt paint. 
mm. um, from wow. you know from our dirt, and they do they do a unit on using that as a medium. They use it for dye. They use it for paint. Um, so you know it's another way to use our island resources. For um, they sell their art and they do a public exhibition of their art, and um, that's how they do the fundraiser to fund you know getting more supplies. Right. But um, yeah, it's amazing. That's very it's cool. Great. So we're we're kind of coming down to the end here. Um, I want to talk about a specific moment in time. Um, back on January eighth of of uh, twenty nineteen uh, mm-hmm. this year. Um, Ted Dintersmith, who is the author of What School Could Be and also the executive producer of Most Likely to Succeed, mm-hmm. came to Molokai. And by the way, I, I know Ted, and he's fallen in love with the island deeply. Yeah. I mean, he's smitten completely, yeah. right? Um, so he came over, and we did a day-long uh, innovation playlist training. And by the way, for our listeners, if you want to know more about the innovation playlist, just go to innovationplaylist.org, and you'll find out what that's all about. Um, based, it's based on a micro theory of change, a, a micro innovation theory of change. Mm-hmm. Macro change causes macro anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you say to your school community, we are going to be project-based learning, everybody freaks out. Right. Um, and so if you give teachers a chance to do project-based learning and then slowly but surely they, they build um, advocates for it. Um, Ted talks about a most likely to succeed screening that happened that night mm-hmm. at Molokai High. You organized it, and I'll tell you here that he said that it's the best screening and post-screening activity that he's ever seen across the country, and he's done that hundreds of times Mm -hmm. in every state, all 50 states. So I wasn't there for that part. So can you describe what happened that night, and and why why does he feel that way? I think it's because we were careful, and it was a community event, but we were very careful to invite so first of all it was a partnership between all of the schools so I was the lead but I asked all the other principals you know help me organize this help me invite key community members so we all gave input we had activists we had members from different churches Mm -hmm. um, business owners educators you know people from all the Native Hawaiian agencies other agencies social um, social services agencies so we definitely targeted make sure that we had representation from all of these different groups that support our island. That's a huge investment of time on your yes. part to pull those all those constituencies together. Yeah. And and but they came and you know we had representation and we had um politicians come as well. So mm-hmm. um from all of those stakeholder groups and so they watched the film and then they they that was the first session to give feedback on our profile of a high school graduate. Right, which we'd and, worked on earlier in yes, the day. Right? Yes. And so um it was just really amazing because we had, you know, a cultural background of, be, you know, be careful um, with the future. Don't forget the past. Make sure that you're looking back at the past when you're planning the future. Um, that was a caution from one of our uncles. And um, it was just amazing. And I think that was part of it was that everyone that was there, their heart was for the island and for the community. And, you know, they sat through about two hours of, you mm-hmm. know, movie and discussion and, and giving feedback and it was just amazing because everyone cared. Right. And Ted yeah. talks about how um, he was so blown away by 
all of the inputs that were coming from all those constituents mm -hmm. who were in the room and how that was literally part of both mobilizing your community and engaging in what our Department of Education wants you to do as a principal, which is intentionally designing mm -hmm. your school with all of your parties. So mm -hmm. he was he was very moved by that moment. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah, and I think just one other thing about our school is the only high school on the island. So right. um, it really is the center of the community for athletics and, you know, events. And, you know, we have the only big gym. And, you know, so it really is um, like a, a pillar yeah. in our community. And so everything, not everything, but a lot of things revolve around the school and the students. And so everyone's connected to it in some way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that particular moment yeah. where you know that that's the context that the high school is seen in that way, yeah. then that's an extraordinary community building moment that yeah. you did that night. So we've actually come to the end of our time, but we're going to okay. we're going to do the same question that I want to ask um, every person who's part of this podcast series, um, which is, um, Katina, what do you think school could be? I think it's it's what we're working on. It's a school without walls, um, really just no boundaries. The, the kids are able to learn what they need to learn. Um, not necessarily based on, you know, some packaged product that tells us they need to learn these things, but based on what our community needs are. And, you know, like someone else said in the other um, podcast, it, it's different for each community and each school and, and what they need to provide, but just the flexibility to give our kids what they need. Wow. And that circles us back to the very beginning when you described your students getting outside of school, mm -hmm. that when you describe what school could be as a school without walls, um, that that's a, a very inspiring idea, but it's not an easy idea no. to achieve. Okay. Right. So Katina Suarez, thank you for being with us today. Good luck with your work as you go ahead um, with this 2019-2020 uh, school year at Molokai High. And good luck to your entire Molokai community as you guys grow together. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. We have a bonus question for okay. Katina Suarez. Um, Katina, everybody has a big boss and a local boss. So your big boss is Superintendent Christina Kishimoto. Mm -hmm. But your local boss is Canoe Complex Area Superintendent Lindsay Ball. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about your Complex Area Superintendent, about Lindsay, and what do you need him to be? And what is his role in your process, in your vision of innovation on Molokai? I think he's been very supportive. What we need him to be is supportive and allowing us to fall forward, as someone else said, you know, make mistakes um, and try some things out without getting, you know, reprimanded for it. And for the most part, that's that's been allowed. And um, it was previous to this administration. So he's provided funds, you know, just given us, okay, here's, you know, your Title II funds, do the PD you need to do, and, you know, you can figure it out as a school what's best for your school. So just that flexibility. Um, he's the one who introduced us to Ted and, you know, very supportive with the playlist. He always um, brings it up at our meetings. We have to look at some type of component of the playlist. So mm -hmm. he's been very supportive in the um, innovation and allowing for innovation. And I feel like I haven't, in, in the creative area, I haven't been limited at all. And, and that's much appreciated because he realizes that all of our schools are different and 
you know, we're going to have to do it in a different way for each of our schools. So it seems like in, in, in the way that we're trying to imagine teachers in the classroom, educators mm -hmm. in the classroom, as being guides and sponsors and mentors and coaches, it sounds like Lindsay is playing that role with you. Yes. And with your other principals within the canoe complex. Yeah, he's modeled that for us. And, you know, our superintendent said the same thing to us at the, our first summit this year or conference was, you know, disrupt and be brave and bold. And he said the same thing. And I'm and I'm trying to instill the same thing in my teachers. Try new things. Don't be afraid. You know, for us, our achievement has not been the greatest. So for us, we have nothing to lose by trying, you know, trying different things. Fantastic. Yeah. Coming up on future episodes of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, Kamehameha Schools Maui educator, Kui Gapera. Find the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as at mltsinhawaii.com. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at MLTS in Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag what school could be, hashtag deeper learning, hashtag edchat, and hashtag education. Our next interviews will be recorded on Saturday, September 28th. You can join us in the studio through the magic of Facebook Live. Find us at the Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com. If you love this podcast series, we would really appreciate a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us reach a wider audience of innovative educators. And please, feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. Your host is Josh Rapoon. Our podcast consultant and sound engineer is Ryan Ozawa. Post-production is by Hawk Media Productions, the digital media program at Kealakehe Intermediate School. The editor for this episode is me, May Kanata, under the guidance of Matthew Williams. Learn more at hawkmediaproductions.com. And special thanks to Ted Dintersmith, author and education change agent. Now, off to your next epic project. Class dismissed. <laughs>